0: Welcome to Grace, everybody. There's some folks in the back still looking for seats, so maybe flag them down and say, Sit by me, Merry Christmas, and uh, welcome them in. Thanks for being here. Thanks for everybody watching online. Uh, hello, everybody at the Extension and at Fuel and in South Carolina and uh, all over the place as you're joining us online. Thanks for being here. Uh, the Christmas services are going to be a blast. Encourage you guys. Take advantage of that. Uh, folks who have maybe never made the connection to grace, it's a great kind of bridge for them to do that. More importantly, maybe who have never understood the kind of wonder of who Jesus is, uh, it's a great opportunity to have uh, have them make that connection a little bit, so take advantage of it. If you usually watch us online or at one of the live sites, I would encourage you and welcome you to come on in. I'd love to meet you if I've never met you before, and I'd love for you to come and be a part of things here uh, this Christmas season. 13 of them, albeit every one of them. I think you can make it, right? And so uh, <laughs> it's gonna be a blast and uh, we'd love to hang out. Uh, we've been in a series here these last uh, few weeks called Firstborn. I wanna finish that up this weekend. It's been a fascinating conversation about Jesus. And uh, who he is, what his place is, how that relates to us, how we interact with him as God, as a savior, as a friend, as the good news, all the ways that the Bible describes him. That term firstborn uh, comes out of Colossians chapter one. If you have your Bibles, you maybe open them up there. Uh, Colossians chapter one, and we'll look at verse 15. It's page 821 in those Bibles that are in the chairs. Colossians chapter one, verse 15, says this, the son, that's Jesus, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him, all things are hold together he's the head of the body of the church he's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy and we've been looking at that whole idea and saying the term firstborn when it's used in the bible is not so much talking about the order of which jesus was born but more his rank where he sits before all things so the term firstborn is a is a term of rulership a term of position, authority. Paul uses the word supremacy. Christ is the ruler, has authority over creation. He has He's the ruler, has authority or supremacy over the body. His church is the firstborn of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So we've been looking at that. Whole passage here for a few weeks. Those conversations are out online. There's podcasts. You can listen to the app, go to the website. All that's for free. You may want to catch up on it a little bit because it's been fascinating. This weekend, I want to take us to the end of that sentence in which the Bible says this, that he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So he's the head of the body, the church, and then he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. When, when you start looking at this sentence, it's kind of one of those sentences in the Bible that's important to, to pick apart a little bit to get our head all the way around it. Because when, when you get your head around what the Bible is saying here about Christ, it's pretty mind boggling and I would even argue could be life altering. Uh, It could really define kind of your meaning and your position and how you view life and walk through it. It certainly can define your relationship with Christ and how you interact with him just by getting our head around what it means that he is the beginning, the firstborn among the dead. So when we read the English Bible... Sometimes it's important to remember that our English Bibles were translated from the Greek language. It's usually Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek. The second part of the Bible, the New Testament part, came from the Greek language. So sometimes to get the full meaning of what the author was saying, it's good to push it back into the original language and explore that a little bit. So that's important with this sentence because in this sentence, he is the beginning of the firstborn among the dead. What Paul's doing is he's assigning another title to Jesus. So he's the son of God. He's the lamb of God. He's the light of the world. He is the beginning. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that term, the beginning, is really important and fascinating. It could be life-altering because when you dig into that, you start to see a little bit about what the writer was trying to convey to us. In the Greek, that term, the beginning, would have several kind of meanings that we would understand. One would be this idea of supremacy. So you put it into the whole passage that Jesus is the firstborn and you see his supremacy all through it. So certainly we should understand that when we think of Jesus, the beginning. Another meaning that the Greek would kind of have is the idea of precedent and time. So he's the beginning of things, he starts things, right? So so he would go before things in time, Jesus being eternal, that's important to understand. But the primary context of this word or this title is what I'm about ready to show you. And when you get your head around it a little bit of what Paul was trying to convey and then you push it back into the whole passage, it really kind of lights up a lot of who Jesus is and what he's like and what he wants us to understand about him, okay? So he certainly has supremacy and rank. He certainly has precedent in time. And then here's the one that's fascinating. He has creative initiative. He is the beginning. He is the one who took initiative, who created. So we might say it this way. We would say, <clears throat> we would say Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs is the beginning of the iPhone. Or Thomas Edison is the beginning of the light bulb. Or the Wright brothers are the beginning of powered flight. They envisioned something. They they thought through something. They they looked ahead and wanted to create something that accomplished something. Christ is the beginning of something. He is is an architect. He is an author. He is an initiator. He is the implementer. He is the beginning, and he is the firstborn among the dead. The two are kind of tied together. In fact, you see this in the context. When you go back to the verses before, verse 16 and 17, you start to see this play out. For in him all things were created. He's the beginning of it. He imagined, he created, he architected creation, things in heaven and on earth. He created the heavens and the earth. He envisioned it, you could say, or we might say, visible and invisible, the things that are physical and the things that are spiritual. He is the beginning, the architect, the creator, the visionary of that, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the architect, the initiator, the planner, the visionary. He is the beginning. Now, that thought is fascinating to to dig into uh, because when you think about the fact that God envisioned or planned or architected, it's almost hard to get your head around and you almost take it for granted unless you get deep into the details of it. So let's talk about this in terms of something that we're used to, our, our phones, okay? So when you think about our phones, it's something we use all the time. It's a normal part of our life. We kind of take it for granted. It's always in our pocket or within reach, right? So if you could put your phones down for a minute and let me talk about our phones, I would appreciate that, right? So when you think about the phone, this is something you interact with every day. But when you think about what it took to initiate its creation and its operation, it becomes kind of mind-boggling when you initiate, hi honey, my wife is texting me right now. When When you think about what it took to initiate its creation, its operation, just the glass, just the glass on the phone. Somebody, somebody had to initiate the idea that if you take sand and heat it properly and add the right elements to it, you can create glass. And then that glass has to be treated and chemically manipulated a certain way so that you create what, what, the, what the iPhone calls Gorilla Glass. And then somebody had to get the idea that if you could get the right kind of glass and you could develop the right kind of electronics and you could somehow attach the electronics to the glass so that when you touch the glass, the electronics would do what you wanted it to do. And then you had to develop all the electronics, all the circuitry, all the metals, all the inventions that allow millions of things to be imprinted on a little chip that can go into a phone. And then you had to design a case for the phone. So somebody had to figure out that you can get aluminum out of the dirt And if you take aluminum out of the dirt and you manipulate it a certain way, you score it a certain way, you bend it a certain way, you measure it out to a precise setting, and then you set all the electronics and you attach the glass to it, and then you fire it up accordingly that if you touch the glass, you can get your phone to work. And when you touch the glass and get your phone to work, it calls a tower. And so somebody had to build the tower. Somebody had to figure out that you can make steel. And you can make steel, and you can refine it, you can bend it, you can purify it, you can, you can engineer it a certain way so that if you make it into a tower, it'll hold together and it won't fall over. And somebody had to figure out that you have to put it a, an antenna on that tower. And if you can get waves, if you can get waves to shoot data and text and video from this to that, And that can receive it and that can translate it and that can turn it into a a text or a phone call or a video. And then, then you gotta take that and you gotta get it to talk to a satellite. So somebody had to figure out how to make a rocket. And what do you make the rocket out of? We're back to aluminum, right? And so you make a rocket and you fire it up. And somebody had to figure out the science that you can only fire at certain times of the day because it has to go through like these little windows to get up into space so it doesn't burn up. And then somebody had to figure out that the Earth spins. And what is the relationship to the sun and the moon and the Earth is spinning so there's an orbit. And if you don't get right into that orbit, what you send up there will crash back into the Earth and bend up or it'll fire all the way out into ceaseless space. And then somebody had to figure out that once you have a rocket and you have that window and you can shoot that up there, that you can make a satellite out of it. And so you attach a satellite to a rocket, you send it up there, and satellite, all you need is like foil for that. And you send that up there so that when I press a button here, it calls that tower, it shoots it to that satellite. That satellite sends it back to another tower, which sends it to another phone. And I put the phone to the ear and I'm like, can I have a large pizza? Someone had to initiate all that. There was a beginning to it. See? And Paul is saying about Christ, the firstborn, yes, he's the ruler. He has supremacy. He has authority. He is before us in time. And he's the creating initiative. He creates for us. He made a plan for us. He put that plan into space, into into place, and then he launched it. It was not by luck, it was not by happenstance, it was not over millions of years that this played out, and so things just gradually lined up. It was initiated from the beginning. And he's saying that's who Christ is. He's the head of the uh, the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. What does that mean? That means that he, him being the firstborn from among the dead is part of the plan. That in this plan that Christ set out, he, he started with creation He went all the way through the prophets. He went all the way through the Old Testament. He went to Christmas. Christmas is a part of the plan. And then he comes down to earth as a child in the form and taking on a human likeness. He lives perfectly. He lays his life down. He who is life, not the creator of life, who is life, gives himself over to death. So that in his death, we who are dead can be raised to life. It's all the plan. And the plan was that the firstborn over creation, the firstborn over the church would also, the beginning, the plan was that he would be the firstborn from among the dead. That if you come and you defeat death, the one thing that cannot be defeated, but you defeat it and you defeat sin, you offer your life, and by your own authority, you raise it back up again. If you did that, you will demonstrate that you have supremacy in everything so that on purpose, according to plan, meant to do all that. And as he's first born over everything else, he then illustrates that Even death cannot withstand the power of the firstborn. He is the beginning, he architected it, he meant it to go that way. I wrote this in my notes. Christ, Christ has supreme authority over all creation. Not not some authority, he doesn't just manipulate creation. He has supremacy over all creation, which includes humanity. We are created. He is the potter, we are the clay. He is the artist, we are the the material he is creating art with. He has supremacy over all creation. He is the author of the laws of nature. He doesn't bend the laws of nature, he wrote the laws of nature. He didn't discover gravity, he, he invented gravity. He didn't didn't identify the the orbit of the earth. He set it on his axis. He created it that way, his supremacy over all these things. He is the father. He is the originator. He's the inventor. He's the beginning of justice. He's not just a just God, he created the concept of justice. He's not a merciful God simply, he created mercy. He invented the concept of it. He's not just the truth. He created truth. He defined truth. He is supreme in all of those things. He's the beginning of it, the architect of it. And what he did out of love for you and I is he utilized his rank of firstborn to create and to initiate a plan in which he would surrender his life to death in order for us who are dead to have life. It's mind-boggling to think about. And it's not an accident. It's not a happenstance. It's not luck. He's the plan. It was architected. It was designed. It was planned. In fact, when you look at the Old Testament, you can see some of his plan revealed. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, hundreds of years before His Mary and Joseph were born, you see that this plan was laying out. If you got your Bible, flip to the left in them and go to Isaiah Isaiah chapter nine, it's page 479 in those Bibles in your chairs. Isaiah chapter nine, this is the prophet. This is all through the test- uh, through the Old Testament through the Bible. You see the plan being laid out deliberately. Isaiah chapter nine, verse one, nevertheless, there, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress, but in the future, This is going to happen. It's preordained. In the future, he will honor Galilee of all nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Galilee is the place where Jesus did most of his teaching and most of his miracles. In the future, this out-of-the-way place is gonna be honored among the nations. Verse two, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors uh, rejoice in dividing the plunder. That people are in darkness, they're in hopelessness, there is no plan, a light's gonna dawn. What is that light? Who is that light? What is that light gonna look like? How are we gonna be able to recognize that light? What are we supposed to be keeping our eye out for? Verse six, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. None of it happened by accident. None of it happened by happenstance. There was a plan from before the time that the foundations of the earth were laid, when the earth was still without form and it was void, this plan was implemented by an eternal God who is before all things. He's the firstborn. Creation itself leads to this plan because he's the firstborn over creation. And it's laid out in sequence. The scripture says, in the future, this is going to happen. Jesus didn't just show up in Bethlehem and hang out around uh, Galilee. In the future, it's all part of the plan. And the firstborn implemented it. And how does it happen? Why does it happen? Well, was he just born at this time in this place where the political win's just right? Was it just luck? Was it some form of like an evolutionary process? No, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It's on purpose. It's designed. It's architected. It's implemented by who? The beginning. The plan that was created was thought through, every detail of it was thought through. Every nuance of it. The plan and all of its components were caused to work together. When you read the Old Testament, you see the plan will boil down to some very, very thin strings. At one time in the Old Testament, the plan boiled down to one prostitute named Rahab. She, was the, she and her family were the only ones who survived an onslaught of a battle. Just her, and she's in the genealogy of Jesus, why? Because it was a plan. It was woven together. There's another time the whole plan boiled down to this one kid that everybody kind of forgot about. The, 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 the prophet Samuel was going out to look for a new king of Israel. He showed up at this guy Jesse's house and said, I wanna see your sons. He brought all the older kids out, all the strapping ones. And, and Jesse's like, mm, no, none of them will do. You got, a, you got another one laying around somewhere? Jesse's like, yeah, you know what? My one kid, David, I mean, he's kind of scrawny, but he's out tending the sheep. You want to see him? David comes in. That's King David. It's on his throne that Christ will rule and reign for eternity. The plan, It's all woven together. It's all preordained. It's all pre-initiated by who? The firstborn. Who is also who? The beginning the one who took the creative initiative to work it through. And that plan leads to its earthly implementation through Christmas. And that baby is born. Why did Christ come as a baby? So that we wouldn't be terrified of him. Part of the plan was that we could relate to God because he's Emmanuel. He came to be with us. He wants to be found. So he comes in something that's innocent and approachable, so that we would approach him as opposed to an unapproachable light where God usually lives. He puts skin on, he comes to earth. That baby, the plan was, he's gonna live. He's gonna live a human life so that we could make sense to him because if we had a high priest we couldn't relate to, we would have trouble understanding God. So he lives a human life, but he never sins. He lives, he teaches primarily around Galilee, He does miracles, he affirms that he is God, and then he willfully lays his life down by his own authority. Jesus was not murdered. He was not caught up in political intrigue. He's like a firefighter or a police officer or a Navy SEAL who offers their life. He laid his life down, and by his own authority, he took it back up again, becoming the firstborn from among the dead so that he would have supremacy and everything, it's all the plan. And it was designed and it was implemented and it's become even familiar to us like Christmas or Easter would be. But when you push back into it, it's mind-boggling how it would work. And what did God think about the plan? When he looked at it, what how did, how did he perceive it? Or what did he think? Well, the writer tells us in Colossians, the next part of it, for God was Pleased. He was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviors, but now now he has reconciled, reconciled you by Christ's physical body through the death To present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. The plan the whole time was that the creator, the firstborn, the beginning, would come to earth. He would come seeking to save those who were lost. The plan the whole time was that he he would be the atoning sacrifice. He would pay a debt he didn't know for those of us who owe a debt that we cannot pay. The plan the whole time was that he would take the sins of the world on his shoulders, dying once for all so that none should have to perish. The plan the whole time was for God, the firstborn, the king, the ruler, the one who reigns, the one who has authority over everything, to implement this plan for you and I. That was always the plan. The plan was that the baby, the baby would be the sign. He would illustrate the approachability of God. That he would grow in wisdom and stature, and stature and become the man. And we would hear his teachings and see his miracles. He would demonstrate his deity, and then he would be the sacrifice. And he would lay his life down. And he would take it up again. Why? So that we could be reconciled through Christ's physical body, his shed blood on the cross, so that we could be holy and we could be without blemish. Mind-boggling. The firstborn, the beginning, is Christ the Lord. And he reaches through time and space for you and I. That whole idea, it just blow your mind. But there's another element of it that will blow your mind even more, ready? You should like hold your brain in. Here we go, ready? Here we go. The firstborn over all creation, right? It's Christ, blow your mind. The first point, he implemented the church, founded the church so that we could know and discover and proclaim Christ, right? Like blow your mind. He's the beginning of creation. He's the beginning of the church. He's the beginning of reconciliation. Ready? Squeeze tight. Here it is. Ready? He's the beginning of you. With the same forethought that Christ designed and imagined and visioned and architected and implemented his plan of redemption and reconciliation, he designed and imagined and implemented his plan of you. Before the foundations of the earth were laid, the psalmist says, God knew you. When you were in your mother's womb, the psalmist says, God knit you together. He designed you, he architected you, he purposed you, he implemented you and as much as Christmas is the plan and Easter is the plan like Jeff is the plan and not only am I part of God's plan he is the beginning of me he is the firstborn over me he has supremacy over me because I am created by him guys if you can wrap your head around that truth it'll change your life It'll make everything different because you will find your place, you will find your purpose, you will find the reason to invest your life, you'll find the reason to get up in the morning if you can get a hold of the idea that Christ is your beginning. If we were gonna paraphrase Colossians chapter one and and do it in a way that it's singular, it's, it's written just for you and I, We might paraphrase it this way. We might look and say, Christ is my beginning. Yeah, what does that mean? That means that for in him I was created. I was created in Christ. I am not a product of an evolutionary process. I'm not simple biology. I'm not a mass of tissue with a brain. I am not an animal with a higher intellect and instinct. I am created in Christ. I am created in the image of God. I long for, I desire, I love. Colossians later on says, I can understand through the Holy Spirit, even the mind of God. All I am spiritual. I am created in him. I am meant to connect to God. The law of God is written on my heart. The, my human instinct is to look for God. Even when I look at nature, it, the wonder that it causes is my instinct to look for God. When a bear looks at nature, he doesn't look, he's not like, oh, it's beautiful. He's like, that looks delicious. When we look at nature, we're like, man. It's a, almost a worshipful experience, why? Because I was created in God. So that when I look at his creation, I long for the one who created it. He's my beginning. If we kept paraphrasing it, we might say this, I have been created through him and for him. Created in God, through God, and for God. God does not exist for me, I exist for God. If, if we could wrap our head around that truth, that alone would alter your life. That the purpose of my life is not myself that I am not the keeper of truth. My truth is not the highest truth. My opinion is not the highest opinion. My existence is not for me. I'm not the highest peak of my own existence. I am created for God. There is one that I am created to serve, one that I am created to know, one that I'm created to interact with, one that I'm created to worship. And if I gonna wrap my head around that? Why, how do you know that? Because he's, the, he's my beginning. He imagined me. I didn't imagine him. He architected me. I didn't architect him. It's not my personal God. I am God's personal creation. I am created in him. I've been created through him and for him. If we kept paraphrasing it, we might say this He is before me. That's a big one. God is before me. I am not the end of my own authority. I'm not an authority unto myself, a truth unto myself, a governance unto myself. There is one before me. There is one that I yield to. There is one that I bow before. There is one that I follow. He is, I am in him He's created through me, uh, Through he, I am created through him and for him, he is before me, and then this is where this all comes together, ready? And in him, I am held together. In him, I am held together. I want you to get your head around this, this will change your life. Could it be, just asking, could it be that the reason my life is falling apart is because I have removed the one who holds it together. I'm created in him, through him and for him. He is before me. Why would my life be falling apart? Because I'm pushing away the very one that was created to hold me together. Why, why is it? that we would live in the wealthiest culture in the history of humanity and have the highest levels of anxiety, depression, and suicide? How is it that we can have everything and have nothing? Could it be because we're not held together? That if I I gain the world but lose my soul, the loss of my soul will cause me not to care about the world. You think about this relationally, if you think about a marriage. When you marry, the two become one. The husband and the wife, as illustrated by becoming one flesh, their heart, their mind, their soul, their lives intertwine. There's There's one thing. And we would look and say, well, as long as I am made in him or her, for him or her, nope. It's actually not two, it's three. God has to be in the middle of that. If God is not holding that new thing together, it will collapse. So how come our marriage is falling apart? Because it's not being held together. But we work so hard for each other, right? But you're missing the ingredient that holds you together together. Why can you achieve and have such success in life, but have no happiness and feel all alone? Because you're not held together. Every aspect of your life that is not in Christ goes to the grave with you. Your education goes in the grave with you. Your career goes in the grave with you. Your stuff goes in the grave with you. Your money goes in the grave with you. Your life experiences go in the grave with you. The only thing that lives beyond that is what I have in Christ. It will be tested, and the things that are made of precious, eternal, valuable pieces of my life, they will go through the refining fire of judgment and will be given to me as a reward and crowns. Why? Because I'm held together that way. Paul is looking, he's saying, guys, if if we don't understand that this is the plan, there's this great plan of reconciliation and redemption, and there's the great plan for you, and the plan for you is the firstborn. And with supremacy and authority, he architected you, he designed you, he project planned you, he implemented you, and he holds you together. When we approach the manger, The scripture has taught us that we approach the manger with open arms and a bended knee. And Jesus would say, When you're interacting with me, I, I, I took the very nature of a servant, I humbled myself, took, took the likeness of a human on purpose so that you're not afraid to approach me with open arms. But I also want you to remember I'm the firstborn. And it's simultaneously, I come with open arms. It is completely appropriate to go before God and to ask him for what you need, want, or desire. 100% appropriate. The Bible says you're to come boldly into the throne room of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, I I don't crawl in there on my belly. I come boldly before the throne room of God and I'm to make my requests known to him. I am to ask for the desires of my heart. It's completely appropriate to ask God. God, can you help me fall in love, meet somebody? God, could you help us have a child? God, the new job. God, the bigger house. God, God, the car. That's, that's fine. You can ask God all you want. The Bible says I'm to cast all of my anxiety and all of my cares upon him. God, I have to make a decision. God, I'm not sure where to go to college. God, I'm not sure about this next life move. God, I have a flat tire. Completely appropriate to go before God and make all of our requests known to him because we approach the manger with open arms and then the Bible would say, but you also do that with a bended knee because this child is not a spiritual version of Santa Claus. This child is the king of kings and the Lord of lords and the God of gods and the beginning and the firstborn. So as I approach the manger with open arms, I also approach with a bended knee, and I say things, God, not my will, but yours be done. I, I, I would really love my health problem to go away, but if you would be more glorified through my sickness, then give me the strength to endure it. I would be really great to meet somebody and fall in love. But if you can use my life and the freedom that comes from not having a marriage, a children, a a house, a relationship, my life is yours, I will use it in every way. God, I would really like it if you would make my marriage be healthier. But if you want me to illustrate your holiness and your commitment to my spouse, even in a difficult situation, you can use me that way. Because I want these things, but you are God. I desire these things, but you are the firstborn. I have a way that seems right to me, but you are the one who directs my path. So help me not to lean on my own understanding, and in all my ways, acknowledge Him. And Jesus would say, I'm really open. I wanna know everything on your heart. I care about the details of your life, but I also want you to remember that whether you're the 90-year-old sweet grandma who's followed me her whole life, or you're the dictator of some horrific country somewhere, every knee is gonna bow and every tongue is gonna confess that I am Christ the Lord. I am the firstborn. I'm the beginning. Christ came the way he did as an invitation. We are all invited into his presence. And and if you're a simple, hardworking guy like the shepherds, a scared, insecure girl like, like maybe Mary was, or the smartest of the smartest, the elite of the elite, the wealthiest of the wealthiest, like the wise men. The baby showed up as a baby so that we would not fear God, but we would approach God. The baby lived as the man Jesus and taught so that we would understand God. He performed the miracles that he performed so that we would have confidence that he is God. He laid his life down to illustrate the full extent of his love from God to us. And he raised himself back up again in majesty and power so that we remember that our friend, our brother, the one who will never leave us or forsake us is also our God. He's not a king. He's the king of kings. He's not the Lord. He's the Lord of Lords. He's not a God. He's the God of gods. The firstborn, the beginning, our Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't know where you stand in relationship to the the manger. If you got in your mind an image of the nativity you might be kind of on the outside looking in, wondering what's going on in there. Because a bunch of people are paying attention to that baby right now. And I'd say to you, that's not a terrible place to be. That, that curiosity, that wonder, could he be who he says he is? Could he do what he says he could do? Is he the beginning of me? Those are all really, really healthy questions. What well, God would want you to know is that you're invited in. It doesn't matter if your life is a mess, it doesn't matter if you understand it all. It matters that you put your faith, you choose to believe in something that you will not and never, do not and will never fully understand, that's what faith is. I choose to accept and believe because I believe that Christ is the beginning of me. Some of us when we come to the manger We come with open arms, but a stiff back. The idea that God loves me and cares for me and cares about the details of my life is extremely appealing. That he has the power to to do for me what I want, that he he can know the depths of my heart and he can make that happen for me. The supernatural aspects of who he is, his grace, his mercy, all that's extremely appealing. But to bend my knee, come on. I am very open to God empowering and blessing my plans, my dreams, and my desires. I'm not real open to Him being before me. If His plans, His desires, His path for my life is different than what I will it to be, I'm out. Some of us come to God and we have a bended knee, but we have crossed arms. Yeah, there's a higher power. Don't mess with it. Surprised the building didn't fall down when I walked in here. The internet blew up when I dialed in the live stream. We're real open to a bended knee, it's what the country was founded on. We need to remember that. We have crossed arms. What if we prayed about this problem? What if we work a little harder? What, what if we what if we seek the Lord in His direction? God gave us a brain for a reason. What if you um, what if you became open to to the pain of your childhood and how that affects your marriage, your friendships, and your relationships, and you ask God to help heal that? <laughs> Just get over that stuff. Suck it up. We can come with a bended knee but crossed arms. The child is an invitation for people in deep darkness to have a bright light. And it's all by design. The beginning of our salvation and reconciliation, the beginning that creates the opportunity for us to be made holy and presented as blameless is the beginning of you. And your life will not hold together unless you acknowledge and embrace Christ for who he really is. He is the firstborn. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a few minutes? And why don't we just spend a couple minutes with God? The band will come out and give us a little room to think. And would you invite Him into wherever you are right now? Jesus, help us with this. You say in the Bible, God, it's your kindness that draws us to repentance. So for some, Lord, Maybe just draw us in from the outside to the manger, or some of us we need we need to know that there's power and there's hope and there's help and that's where we're at. Life is full of pain and desperate. So God, would you comfort us? Would you encourage us? Would you give us joy? Would you do the supernatural, Lord? Some of us need confronted. We've become self-righteous. We believe that it all depends on us. Become critical of other people. Become prideful Have harbored sin. So confront us. You are our king. We bow before you. Wherever we are, Jesus, would you meet us there now? Would you show us the parts of your heart and mind that apply to to the position of our heart and our mind and would you work in us in a new and a powerful way thank you we love you help us in your name